this podcast is going to be really difficult to record because um, I'm not actually speaking to you. Okay. Is this a pre-recorded message? <laughs> no. You're just, you're just <laughs> predicting what I'm going to say and responding accordingly. Yeah, I, I, know you s- I know you so well. <laughs> if, I, if I could travel into the future and I went into the future like a couple of hours just to like make notes of what you would say, come back and record it and then play it back so I could like sit here giggling as you, you converse with the pre-recorded tape of me, that would be a waste of time travel. <laughs> yeah, that wouldn't be the first thing I'd try out, I must say. <laughs> like what, what, a slightly playful experiment on a podcast. If I, I know what the first thing you would do would be, it would it would be to travel back in time to when they were filming Stephen King's The Dark Half, mm. and and when the child uh, gets a phone call from the from someone and they want to speak to the sheriff played by Michael Rooker, mm-hmm. you would say cut for a second, walk on set, walk up to the costume designer and say. Michael Rooker's going to walk through that door in a minute, supposedly coming from a home gym that he's been working out on. He's going to be toweling his hair, and he's going to be wearing clothes that no one has ever worn to a gym. <laughs> you need to redress him. And then you disappear in a puff of smoke back into the future. Correcting the dark half. That would be my mission. I do, but we're not allowed to talk about it because no. it's a film. And this is... Our state of play. Um, we are allowed the, to talk about the Savalas, though, aren't we? Because you've watched a bit of Resident Evil, which is game related. So yes, and we're allowed to talk about the Dark Half because there was a video game tie-in of it um, on off. PC. Yeah, of course there really? was. Well, yeah, of course there was. Really, have I played it? Yes. Is it glitch-free? No. No. <laughs> That's a hard no on the second part of that question. Was it CD-ROM era then, or just before? Well, now you're asking questions, aren't you? Um, mm-hmm. Let me just have a little check. Um, let me just check. Yeah, the, the Dark Half video game. I'm surprised you didn't know this. You're such a fan of the Dark Half. 1992, rating 0.5 out of 5. Oof. Oh, not bad. <laughs> what kind of a game is it? Is it like an ocean software-style platform game, or is it a point-and-click? Some... Imagine it, it should really be point and click adventure. It, but. It's 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 a point and click. The mm-hmm. the visuals. Oof. Um, on the on the adventuregamers.com it says, the dark half. The sparrows are flying again, which it sounds like something a serial killer would say as he comes out of a wardrobe holding a pair of scissors, isn't it? Like, <laughs> maybe that's what. Maybe that's the context in the film. As I'm he sure. intends to cut wings into his victim. Yeah. If if that was lying in bed and someone said the sparrows are flying again. And say pardon, and then he'd open the door and say sorry, I was muffled because I'm hiding in your waterways. I said the sparrows are flying again. Oh right, okay, yeah. Okay, right. <laughs> really cleared it up. To be honest. And then and then he'd say there's a distinct lack of terror in this conversation. I've been in there for two hours. <laughs> yeah, can you think of a slightly more threatening bird than a sparrow? <laughs> um, so yeah, this is this is the state of play episode 22. This is um we've got a lot of new listeners, so welcome one, welcome all. We usually. Uh, from sort of week to week do our um, Kino Kingdom which is a, the, the movie side of the podcast the men who talk but this is the video game side of it so if you're expecting me to talk about the Hitman's Run starring Eric Roberts hair and baggy shirts you'll be disappointed uh, I'm going to be talking about video games and I have got <laughs> quite a list of video games I'm not going to lie to you some I will talk about more swiftly than others um, but others mm-hmm. I will slow my voice down to a crawl 
it <laughs> <laughs> drops in octaves. But yeah, so I've got a load. Have you gone for quantity over quality like I have? Or uh, it was quite a quantity. I've got like I've only got a handful of ones which I've actually played significantly or to completion. But I've got a bunch of I. I've kind of gone through a period of trying out quite a lot of uh, like uh, PC, like weird, obscure indie games on PC. So, you know, I can I can point out where people should perhaps uh, aim their Steam wallet funds or avoid. I, I still I haven't used Steam for a very long time. Um, but I still get well properly for a long time. But I still get like, oh, you sold something on the marketplace, and then it, and then I say, okay, well, I'll have that money, and it says, no, you can't have the money because you haven't bought anything for over a year. Oh really? Uh, right. Ooh. Can I put something else up to sell? No, no, you can't do that either. So I don't know how much money I've got in there, but I mean, I don't use it, so it's not a problem. But uh, so it's you're probably about to... twenty-seven pence, to be honest. <laughs> Um, which which means I can buy three quarters of the game on Steam then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yes, it's a it's a funny old thing because you get like cards, don't you? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. As you're playing, at which you then flog on the marketplace. Uh, yeah, and cards and gems, and then it's like, do you want to turn these into a pack? I have no idea what's happening. I no tell you, who makes the most money out of those cards? Uh, v- Valve. <laughs> yes. <laughs> But second place is uh, like game critics, as in reviewers who've got pre-release code. Because uh, you, I remember when I reviewed Darksiders Three, I think it was, and it was pre-release code, and I collected all the cards, obviously because I played through it. And um, and you know when I put them on the marketplace, as I always do, they were like really like valuable because of course they were extremely rare at that point technically speaking because no one else had them so as a video as a video games journalist but i would know nothing of that practice <laughs> i i don't know what you're talking about in fact i, I can't even hear you i'm just <laughs> guessing what you're saying <laughs> you actually, this is actually a pre-recorded message <laughs> so i could be that, saying anything yeah that wheezing laugh i just did i recorded it four months ago mate yeah. um, so, so do, do you want to talk about the Savalas before we go into the video games then? Because um, that's cheating as far as I'm concerned. I'm, I'm well, I mean, it. I don't think there's really much to say other than you. I, I understand that you watched a bit of Resident Evil. Uh, have you series. watched any of it at all? No, I can be asked. I, I mean, it's, it's, it, it's got so many things against it. <laughs> like, as in, it's a video game adaptation. It's a Netflix original. I, uh, yeah, I'm not sure I could cope with it. Well, it's it's got Lance Reddick in it, and obviously he's a man yeah. whom whom we both fancy. Yeah. But as you know, I don't watch the Savalas that often. And I was I was having dinner a couple of days ago, and I said to Faye, "Oh, look, it highlighted it." And I said, "Let's just check it on, and we'll just see how it goes." Um, and within like, I would say was within thirty to forty minutes, I turned to Faye and just said, "Do you mind if we turn this off?" And she said, "No, I'm not enjoying it either." It. <laughs> And like I, I struggle, I struggle very much with TV anyway, especially like because everything's so elongated and uh, cliffhangery and drip feedy. I don't, I really don't enjoy it. I just feel like it's yes. wasting my time. But um, 
this really it's like you know you've got two timelines going on you've got the the people when they're older and when they're children you've got lance reddick doing something a bit dubious that's going to be revealed down the line and he's albert wesker but not albert wesker and i don't really care as far as i'm concerned the whole thing of resident evil is it was like a schlocky b-movie horror game that was released that somehow spawned this franchise and power to it and everyone enjoys it but it's it's not for me and this just feels like a, a weak version of other shows with lots of ideas like with the dual timelines that we've seen before mm. with the cliffhanger stuff and quite frankly like the, i was battered to death for the first 20 minutes when i was just watching teenagers bickering um in high school mm. i thought i do not want to be watching this um mm. so yeah i mean i just i, I know t- I, it didn't if that first episode is supposed to grab me and then someone will say ah oh, first episode's crap but then by the sixth season towards the end it's not bad mm. Yes. I'm probably not going to waste all that time then, am I? So, and looking at this, I just typed it in to remind myself of Lance Reddick's name, and it's got 3.6 out of 10. I mean, I don't know if it's been clown voted by people who are just Resident Evil fans, but um, I, I just don't care. It really didn't grab me enough to pay any more interest to it. Surely no one's that precious about Resident Evil. I mean, it's all over the shop as far as canon is concerned. <laughs> like, I've watched the Resident Evil movies. <laughs> and and PM God, Entertainment. Yeah, wow. yeah, you watched a lot. You watched a lot of those. You watched about yeah. five or six of them. Yeah. And I remember none of them, <laughs> frankly. <laughs> yeah, they were extremely forgettable. But I do remember them being all quite different in terms of like all over the place in terms of the plot and stuff. So, and, and the same as the games, really. They're, I mean, I guess there's one central conceit, but you know, they jump all over the place and they they switch genres and stuff. So yeah, yeah, I, I don't I, think it's really a sacred text. I think with the with the um, with with the video games, you've got like my the biggest fan I know is my brother Transvaal of the video games, and you've got you know he 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 loves one and two, and he loved four, and then he kind of drifted off it for a bit, and then it wasn't so keen on Village, but the newest one eight I think it is really really brought him back into the fold again. But when it comes like for example, when you Village about, eight though, which is it? Oh, is I don't it? know actually. Which one was seven? Oh, maybe seven, seven was. Yeah, the, it might be seven. Seven was the one with the we start off and it's all like a, a really horrible like texas chainsaw mascot yeah that's the one he family. kind of bored with it? but my, my point is that with with like a series of games it's it has reinvented itself and kind of there will be duffers and there will be really good ones which is awesome that's kind of what a series should ideally do yes. but with with like for example mortal Kombat, right you look at like when it comes to the other media of it like the comics or the animated series or the there's there's bits to pick out but when, when i think about resident evil you've got like a bad tv series and and then you've got like just bad films. Yes, or at <laughs> least know, the I, best mediocre, really, aren't they? Well, yeah, their I mean, own I, thing. Yeah, I think I've seen one of them a long time ago. But I mean, well, from your run through of them the other day, well, I say the other day, probably what, eight months ago now on um, Kino Kingdom, I I had no inkling to to rewatch them or what watch them through at all. And I have no inkling to watch this TV show, so okay. Sounds good. Well, that's Resident Evil covered then. That's 25 years of gaming sorted. Um, so, yeah, do, do you want to kick us off then? Uh, yeah, I might as well start with stuff I played recently. Let's talk about Strider okay. in 2014, which uh, is available on PC, 360, Xbox One, PS3, and PS4. There is 
a console missing from that list, which I'll go into in a minute. But it, this, so the, obviously the original Strider was from 1999, and then there was a Strider 2 in 1990 for various platforms, but then there's also a Strider 2 in 1999 for PlayStation, so I don't know what's going on there. Anyway, this was a reboot, 2014. And yes, the console that's missing is Switch, of course. It really needs a Switch port. But anyway, it's a side-scrolling hack-and-slash-adventure, sort of Metroidvania light, I would say. I say that because it's essentially pretty linear. Like, technically, the map is open, but you don't really go off and explore as such. You're always moving in the direction of an arrow, and I like that part of it. It looks nice enough, nice depth of frame. Uh, there are times when the camera kind of zooms out and you get a lot of visual effects. It's difficult to see where your character is, but I'd say the visual style is similar to something like Metroid Dread, although it's not as nice looking and it's not as good a game. But the world is this generic dystopian brushed chrome type of future. Lots of Gestapo-like guards and a big brother dude on a tannoy going on about the value of order and duty and all that crap. Mm. Uh, I won't bother with the plot, really. It's just it's just an excuse to work your way to this big tower and defeat some bosses along the way. The combat yeah. is pretty simplistic at first. Anyway, it's very button mashy. But later on, it does get a lot more complex because you have these sort of color-coded attack stances to take down specific enemies. And it, it felt like by the time you actually grasp the system... The game was over because it's only about five or six hours long i'd say but again fine with that um the difficulty leans towards the easier side of this genre i don't think i ever died in normal gameplay and i only started getting my ass kicked by bosses in the last hour i'd say so the combination of stress-free navigation and a, a gentle difficulty curve i think they make it a good Metroidvania entry point, should we say. But it is a tier two Metroidvania. I put it alongside, say, the dummy, uh, sorry, the mummy demastered or Owlboy or Axiom Verge. I never got on board with them. Um, Axiom Verge, I like Owlboy, I never really, never gripped me enough to finish it. I did enjoy my time with it. But um, mm. what was the first one you said then? The Mummy Demastered. Yeah, that's one you've. I remember you enjoying, and I, yeah. I need to play. Well, I, while you were talking, because I, I, this flashed a memory for me, and I remember playing this, and the reason I didn't play it for very long was because I was playing it on my old PC, and, I, and there was a problem with the sound. There was something going on with my sound card. It was it was either not cut or I couldn't hear sound effects or I could only hear music or something weird. And uh, so using ad lib speaker. Oh no, I think it's sort of my DMA port. But um, I, uh, I'm looking at this on Wikipedia and I can see that one of the main influences was Shadow Complex, which was a game I I really because I was like completely um, like blind to the whole 2.5D Metroidvania genre. And mm. I remember playing Shadow Complex, and it's only like four or five hours long, and I absolutely adored it. And I know mm. it's like a, it's like a mid-level game, but as you say, as, a, as an entrance point, it's perfect, because yeah. it's like you can just grasp everything really quickly, and, and then in four or five hours it's done, and you're like, right, yeah. okay, I, w- I want something more challenging now. Yes. Um, yeah, and I noticed on this uh, Wikipedia it says, the action in this reboot is eight times faster than the original game. I played Strider on the Mega Drive, and that yes. game suffered from slowdown. And I think eight <laughs> times faster, I might bring it up to 20 frames a second, Rupert. 
Um, so yeah. I remember People playing was... on the Amiga, the original, and I think it was pretty cool the way you can kind of climb around the scenery yeah. and stuff and flip up onto platforms. Um, so yeah, it was kind of cool. I remember. Yeah, but, it yeah, makes this you is feel much cool, slicker, yeah, obviously. Yeah. Nice and slick, sixty frames, I think. Nice. So, yeah. And you said more on that, so it's just not on the Switch. There's just no, it's not. It seems, for it. yeah, it seems. I mean, I, obviously, it's, it was released long before Switch, but it feels like something which could easily be ported, and yeah, and it would really find a home there. But yeah, I guess Switch has got plenty of Metro Venus, really, hasn't it? Yeah, <laughs> it's got a lot of a lot of things on it, hasn't it? Crap, crap, being, <laughs> I mean, one of them. Um, I would like to talk about Arcade Paradise um, okay. because just mainly because, uh, well, it's a game I've been following for a little while, um, for, for two years, and I messaged the um, developer, Nosebleed Interactive, and got into a conversation because I know it was set in the 90s, and I said, look, my band makes kind of grungy, rocky music, if you fancy a listen, and through an amazing sequence of events, our music's actually in the game, and I got to play a beta of it um, a few weeks ago, and it's really cool to not just have my music in a game, but one that's actually really, really good. So the premise mm. is that you take over a laundromat, uh, one of your father's businesses. Your father, voiced by Doug Geralt Cockle from The Witcher 3, and he, his name is Gerald, and he's on holiday on the Riviera. Just let that sink in for a second. Um, yes, yeah, so you, you go. <laughs> you go in, uh, go into this laundromat, and it starts off. You just, you know, it's kind of a mixture between. Um, like a clicker kind of game, but also you have an arcade at the back, which has 35 fully functional games. You can get a jukebox, a uh, pool table, air hockey, that sort of stuff. So it's it's a weird balance, because when I was playing the beta of it, I thought, I was doing the, because obviously like you can, you, you build up, so you start off and there's just one machine out there, and then you, you earn money from the laundromat and from collecting the coin slots to buy another one, and you choose where they go. But I found myself weirdly drawn to the laundromat side of it, it's mm. it's quite it's quite hypnotic. I thought it would be like right, I'd blaze through that bit and then just get to the back. But it's kind of really compulsive in how you right, you keep everything running and you know ch- get as much clothes get as many clothes washed as you can, earn money, check it in the safe, and everything is a mini game. Everything is some sort of um, power meter to just to throw like rubbish in the bin, or like you have to hammer a button to get chewing gum that someone's stuck under a table. So you're constantly doing these little mini games, and it's all it's really. You know, you get there's a there's a game in there that I was really really hips deep into, which was basically a knockoff of Candy Crush, but tied in with an RPG overworld. And I was okay. playing it, and I thought I would happily play this as like a game you know, on my phone or whatever. But the genius of Arcade Paradise is that you get all these 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 games and mini games that sort of give you rewards in the real world of the game, if you like. Yeah. But but it's set in a game that you that also has this overarching like sort of gentle narrative and uh, and rewards on that level as well so it's not just like oh this is a cool game and that's the end of it it's a cool game within a cool game within a cool game so uh this is being launched on the 11th of august across all platforms including switch unlike that nonsense strider yeah um and uh, i'm going to the launch which i'm looking forward to and oh, hopefully really? they'll, they'll ask me to play an acoustic set and i'll say i don't get out of bed for less than 600 quid mate so <laughs> And you'll see, you're out of bed, you're in here, in this building talking. <laughs> yeah, about. so therefore do it for free. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so that's Arcade Paradise. Um, and you, I think you can wishlist it and stuff now, but they've just had a closed beta of it, which finished last weekend. So it's the 11th of August for that one. Has the uh, has the response been good to the, the beta? Yeah, really yeah. good. Yeah. 
Okay. It was yeah. It seems like a, a lot of people are really loving it, which is okay. always nice to hear because there's always a danger. It's like, you know, oh, well, can we use your music in a game? Yes, you can. And then you know, it's just crap. Not not a, yeah. And you think, oh, that's a bit of a shame. But no, no, this is this is exciting stuff. Oh, that's good. Oh, excellent. It's called Arcade Paradise. Do you know when it's released? Eleventh uh, of August. Eleventh of August. I'm gonna have to check that out. Good. That sounds sounds like it's up my strasser. I will <laughs> uh, talk. Uh, a little about a game called Enslaved Odyssey to the West. She may have played. I swear to God that Steve Bloom does a voice in this Odyssey. I'm sure I played this in the PS3 and quite liked it. Yeah, it's on PS3, 360 and PC. Hasn't been a remaster. Um, it's an action adventure from Ninja Theory who were known at this point, this point being 2009, they were known for Heavenly Sword, rather flawed but impressive PS3 launch game, I think it was. It's it's set 150 years in the apocalyptic future. It's similar future to the Horizon games, where like it's an industrial world that's been overgrown and these blue-eyed robots stalk the land. Um, but it's far simpler and much more linear than Horizon. Um, you play as Monkey, a hulking slave who is basically tasked with escorting this hot babe called Trip across the landscape, taking her home. You're a quiet, violent guy, and you sometimes dream of Andy Circus, obviously. Uh, and Trip is this kooky, cutesy sidekick who can distract baddies. There's not too much babysitting, thankfully. Um, first thing you will notice is that the game is very good looking. Um, it's it still holds up pretty well, actually. Well, I played it on PC, mind. I'm not sure how it would, how it would look on, and of course that means 60 frames. So I, uh, yeah, PS3 and 360, it might be a little clunkier. The gameplay loop is basically you, you walk into a, a kind of arena type space, and you need to find a way to take down nasty robots and maybe solve a simple puzzle and then you move on and there are some banal climbing sections where you push the stick towards glowing handholds as they tend yeah, to yeah that, that was big on the, and the ps3 as well was not not great for for like running games and you know, if they weren't top notch if you know what i mean yes. i mean i can't i can't remember the framing on this but uh, by the way it's it's andy circus who does the voice of monkey not steve bloom but a lot of people thought it was steve bloom myself <laughs> included um yeah, you can upgrade stuff, but the core gameplay and the combat doesn't change a lot. In the end, you have to go and destroy this giant mech called the Leviathan. That's what it's leading up to. The combat mm. feels decent enough, although the camera can be a, an extra enemy, frankly. Also, when you're exploring, it will occasionally just switch to a fixed camera, which is quite annoying in itself. Hmm. It's a little bit dated in how it treats Trip, this woman, because she's either hysterical or like pixie cute and she's literally reduced to a functional gameplay tool um but to be fair ninja theory did they did go and make up for this with hellblade because that in that game like the focus is entirely on a non-sexualized female protagonist and of course in hellblade that the inner life of that protagonist is the entire point of the game um so yeah in but in enslaved there is quality all throughout it really because obviously you've got andy circus uh, doing voice and motion capture you got Alex Garland writing and you got Nitin Sawney composing the music but 
I think what it shows is at the end of the day, exceptional talent can't turn solid bronze into gold. Unfortunately, it's very much a game of its era. You know, those interminable years of so-called cinematic games where you get great stretches of of time where it was only semi-playable, but it did look cool. And uh, overall, it's just marginally above average, really, thanks to the production values and and occasional flashes of charm. But it's hardly a transcendent classic, and I'm not surprised it hasn't been remastered. Oh, fair enough. Yeah, I suppose the thing is with, with the remastering, that, that core gameplay loop can't really be... Like, yes. It's just the Uncharted thing, isn't it? You know, mm-hmm. it, when you play a few of those, you, you just sort of get burnt out on them a little bit. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, it, I mean, especially with it, because it really does resemble Horizon, actually, thinking about it. I suppose you've got a bit of Crisis in there, or Crisis 2, you know, where it's like apocalyptic cityscape, but overwhelmed by nature it makes pretty impressive environments but given the fact that better games have come out with that same aesthetic there's even less reason to go back and play this i played autobahn police simulator 3 on the xbox series x go on um i played the second game um uh last year and it was i think I've discussed this on the on the show before, and I said to you that it, it's like because Autobahn Police Simulator Two is you're you're a police officer on the autobahn and driving along, and you're stopping people, giving out speed tickets, and then getting into trying to solve crimes, working your way through this narrative. And the way that Autobahn Police Simulator Two started off was by telling me I had to find out a criminal who find out who he was. He was throwing bricks off bridges and smashing car windshields and making them crash, mm-hmm. and you had to track him down by finding out what fags he smokes and where he buys them and getting them that way. And I thought, this is a oh. game that is on my wavelength. Um, it knows and, what I want. Uh, and it was such a strong opening act from that that I looked past a lot of <coughs> a lot of issues in it. Like there was, I played this in Xbox One, and it had a crippling frame rate and a character um, and a camera that wasn't just like an enemy. It was like <laughs> the nemesis of your character, and um, what it kind was, of perspective is it then? It's, it's it third from, person. It's third, third person right. when you're tottering around like the police station and stuff, and then first person or third when you jump into a car. Um, and there were lots of really neat ideas in there. Like when you pull people over, you can look at their driver, uh, you know, check the tire pressure, look at the license plates, and check uh, check if they've got. It must be a law in Germany because it's made by a German company called Z Software, where they have to have like a first aid kit that's in date in their boot and stuff like that. And it, all the mechanics of it were the ideas were fine, but it was crippled by technical problems, like really, like really fiercely so. And I wish I had my review in front of me for Games Freezer because I wrote in it, there's some really good ideas here, but they really need to like go back to basics, sort out the engine and the technical aspects before they like add anything, bolt any more onto this. Okay. Fast forward to Autobahn Police Simulator 3, which came out a few weeks ago on, I think, PS five uh current gen consoles and pc effectively i tried to run it on my xbox one it wouldn't let me install it and i mm. think it's just because it would illustrate the fact that they really haven't done anything to the engine it runs mm. slightly better just because it's on better hardware right. um <coughs> this one starts off again pretty strong opening in that um you've got to go to the autobahn and 
push a load of cows into a field that run on the road and then sweep up all this shit. And I thought, yeah, this is what being a police officer is all about as far as I'm concerned. Um, but I was, it's, it's got even more issues. Um, you're driving down the road and the car will just flip. Bear in mind, it's a tarmac straight road and it'll just flip or you'll hit invisible scenery. Um, and once my car crashed through the scenery and I couldn't get back onto the road and I had to just restart. It, and, and all these, all the same problems from the previous game, the cameras are a little bit, it listens to a little bit more now, but the problem is just at the heart of the technology. It's just, it's just not there. It, it, it runs better, but there are mm. so many little problems with the mount up. All the other, the good ideas are still in there. And they've added on a few extra things like in this. Now there's lots of sort of little side quests you can do. Uh, and by side quests, I mean, you can pick up rubber ducks that people have just put everywhere. Or you can pick up some signs on the road and you can drive around and pull over by the safety telephones and call back to your department and say, oh, this phone is working. So like, all these things that like I, I'm completely on board with, but it's it just the technical aspect of it is crushing and it really... I played through the second one just because I was I just wanted to see what would happen next, like what lunacy would happen. But it, it like in this, they brought in this thing where you you turn up at a crash, and you you look at the evidence around you, you reconstruct the crash scene on like a like an iPad effectively for some reason, and then you talk to people and try to work out what the cause was, which sounds great. But for example, I pulled up a one and it was like um a bus had hit a car and they were saying, oh, the other one caused the traffic problem, the traffic accident. So I went round to the side of the car and there were straps on the floor and there was a bottle of Jack Daniels. And I picked it up and he said, well, this is really strong stuff. You know, whoever's been drinking this you know, shouldn't be behind the wheel. But then I couldn't bring that up when I was in the sort of dialogue tree. Um, uh, and the dialogue that's tree... That's quite pertinent, really. Yeah. So you just, I just want to walk up to her and say, you batted. But there was that button wasn't there for some reason. Um, the, the the graphics are astonishing. Everyone everyone just looks like a wax model, and the the, the delivery in the vocals in the sorry in the dialogue is just everyone just sounds either bored or like they're putting on a silly voice, which is fine. Yeah, um, but to the charm, but it's but never like, charm. Glitches are rarely charming, especially if they're overwhelming. Yeah, and, the and, and then yeah, it, that's what happens with this. I want I. I I, I would say oh, I'm looking at Police Simulator 4, they'll sort it out, but I, I just don't think they will. I just think they're just going to knock them out. And it, it's a shame because they've got some such good ideas. It just feels mm. like it needs to be in another um, another developer's hands, really. So, right. yeah. And it, it really is a shame. But, you know, I mean, I love my dodgy games like Boiling Point and stuff like that. But this is, <laughs> you know, there's no excuse, really. Okay. Um, so, what's it called? Autobahn Police Simulator Three. Yeah. Is that just on PC? I don't know. Probably. No, it's on all modern consoles. It's on oh, Xbox. Okay. I know it's on Xbox Series X, and I can hear a dog barking. You don't even have a dog. Brilliant. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, Autobahn Police Simulator Three. It's on. It's on modern systems, current gen stuff, and it's on PC as well. Okay, but it doesn't sound like they took your advice from your review of Number Two. <laughs> no, they they really shouldn't. I, I'd love to say that it blew me away and it's like an eight, you know an eight out of ten game, but it's just not. Yeah, because it could be like a hidden gem or indeed a uh, a cult type game, couldn't it? But, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm, okay, well, speaking of not great games, let's. I I, I got. Uh, 
I'm going to go through a bunch of games for the rest of this episode. Games I, I have not by any means finished, but I've tried out. Um, so I'll be a bit quick fire. I'll do a couple at a time if that's cool. So, oh, okay. and many of them <laughs> are obscure. So we start off with Demon Turf Neon Splash. So that's Demon Turf colon Neon Splash. And this is on PC and Switch. And it's apparently a spin-off from a 2021 game called Demon Turf. Um, the only difference here is it's shorter and there's no combat. It's a cutesy 3D platformer where you're basically just trying to get to the end of the level as fast as possible whilst avoiding traps and balls, uh, enemies and stuff. So there, there's a lot of floating platform type stuff and sliding slopes and towers of crates and breakable stuff. You know, the kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. all very 3D Mario type stuff. It, there are 10 pretty bloated levels in total, each with checkpoints. And, and of course, a game like this, with no combat and no real story to distract you, relies on its central character control, I would say. And it fails miserably at that, mostly because mm. this is a 3D game world, which is hideous looking, by the way, in which you're controlling, yes, a 2D sprite. That's right. Mm. She kind of imprecisely slithers around the environment, flicking between poses like Paper Mario or something. And you're asked to make these fast-paced precision jumps all over the place. But it's insanely unplayable. It's just fundamentally doesn't work. Uh, even more insane is that it's actually quite highly rated as well. So I was just saying that. I'm seeing like 9 out of 10 and stuff. Yeah. But yeah, not that, getting that's... It. Oh, awful. It's like a 5, but it's not even worth that. So wow. forget okay. about it. Um and I'll quickly talk about a game called Mages of Mistralia, which is on PC, Switch, Xbox One, and PS4. Um, it's an isometric action adventure set in the most generic fantasy world you could imagine. You play a girl who is learning to be a mage. You start off with some basic spells, which translate to basically standard gameplay stuff, really. You've got like a, an attack spell, a block spell. Uh, uh, trigger a switch spell. Oh, sorry, I mean light flames, but it's triggering a, fl- a switch. And then tr- trigger a hallucination of Roger Lloyd Pack spell. Wow. Um, and you can build ice bridges, yada yada. Uh, the graphics are kind of a bit torchlighty, I suppose. They're quite stylized and cartoony. It's like that isometric look. And the story and dialogue are entirely bog standard fantasy. For you go from a hillside to a village to an enchanted forest. It's got nice enough serene twee music, I guess. In terms of the gameplay, it's ostensibly like something like Death Door or Tunic, I guess, where you're running around a semi-open world, bashing enemies and solving puzzles to open new sections. But the combat just feels a bit like an afterthought. It's really basic. Um, And it's got these really generic goblin baddies. And... You're given quests to go on and chat to this dude and all that dude and or go and clear that forest and then you go back, kind of return to sender type thing. So it's it seems solid and well made in a sweet and, and it's kind of sweet in a bland and very unsurprising way. But there are loads of other games like this out there. For example, <clears throat> the aforementioned Death Store or Tunic, in fact, but also <laughs> something like Hob. Uh, would be recommended before this so try them 
before this really quite vanilla um, entry in the genre. It's called Majors of Mistralia, and yeah, I wouldn't rush out to go. Down no, the, the 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 few you mentioned so far, none of them are they're grabbing me particularly. Okay, so that's a couple couple down. What else have you got? Well, I'll just want to talk quickly about Sniper Elite Five by Rebellion. Um, oh yes, this this is I've a played this, quite a big chunk of this as well. Yeah, um, this is a, a game that I played with my brother Transvel online. We tend to play these um, Sniper Elite games together, and it's always a good laugh. But what, what this game seems to just not really understand what people like about the Sniper Elite games because what what I really like about these games is zooming in a thousand years into the future, just doing a shot that goes into slow motion and it just just clips someone's bollocks. Like that's what I want to be doing. And that's what it's all about. It, it runs pretty well, um, and it's you know, it's very pretty. And it's one of the levels is one of my favorite like um, favorite designs of level in a video game where you're just assaulting this huge sort of baroque castle in Germany somewhere, whatever it is. And it, I can't even remember where it is now. Um, which tells you as to how generic the game is in terms of its story. But you're zooming in really far and working your way up this um, these hills and this entwining cobblestone winding streets to sort of assault the castle on the top. And it was a real highlight of the game. And there were a couple of other bits where, like, you know, my brother would sort of take the offense and I would help pick off from a distance. And it was, we really enjoyed it. But then there are other levels that are interminable. And and it's like such, it's clearly bad design where it's like, okay, you've done all this really cool stuff on these um, really nice sort of set pieces in these beautiful locations. Now it's time to just spend hours wandering blindly around like a submarine dock looking for switches to flick. And you think this isn't fun in these huge boxy rooms. This is just, it feels like a PS2 game all of a sudden. Um, and and there were too many of those sections. Like it's like, and I, and it's bleeding in my mind in the other two games we played as well. It's like, I feel like there's at least a quarter of these games that I spend time wandering around some boring complex, flicking switches to blow up a submarine or a boat yes. or a plane. Or looking through office, yeah, and you're like, my God, just let me. I'd be happy if it was just endless fields and little villages. That's brilliant because you have to plan your sort of assault. They could be hiding in the poppies, and you know what's in that shed over there. Can I go on the roof of that tower? It's just, it's really weird. They don't understand what's so good about their own games because when it's good, it's really good, and when it's bad, it's just like playing some PS2 budget game. And also the end, I don't want to spoil it, but the ending of this, I was sort of. And it, it doesn't help as well that the voice, uh, the the guy who's uh, does the voice of the, the character you play, this is some American. His, his name's probably like Bullet Shafter or something. Um, but he, it, it just his voice just doesn't suit how the character model looks. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and yeah, I just it just felt like if I was playing it single player, I probably would have run out of steam a lot earlier. But because I was playing it online and we were chatting and having fun with it, it was, you know, it was cool. But I, yeah. I do feel like if, if Rebellion are listening to this podcast, please, for God's sake, do not ever go underground. It should always be sea level or above in these games. Please. It's, yeah, I mean, I I probably played it for like three hours, maybe. And I, I it didn't really feel like sniping was ever the best thing to do, to be honest. I mean, I found I would like maybe snipe one or two people and then everything would just kick off and I'd just treat it like a kind of Call of Duty type thing or, or more actually more battlefield, I suppose, because it's quite open space. And yeah, it didn't seem like 
I didn't really feel like I was some elite sniper kind of sneaking around the mountainsides, picking people off at any point. I don't know if it turns into that, but yeah, uh, that was a bit disappointing for me. But it does look very pretty. And yeah, perhaps perhaps if I approach it as not a sniping game, that would help. But yeah, yeah it didn't seem... It, I don't think it's one that I'll finish, to be honest. But I, I played Sniper Elite 4 online a lot in the cult mode and i enjoyed that so you know it's got to be it's got to be at least as fun as that so yeah yeah it's pretty much the same game yeah but but i would say there are a few more it, it's like where sniper Elite 4 was like pretty coasty all the way through this one yeah. has got like a couple of real highs and then just crushing lows of just yeah just bad design and levels it's yeah it's just that they don't know what's good about their own game it's bizarre that is weird yeah uh okay I'll quickly whiz through a couple more of these obscure games. Uh, I played one called Witch Eye, as in one word, Witch Eye, uh, which is on Switch, PC, Android, iOS, and and Mac. Um, But yeah, you literally play a witch's eye floating around, constantly moving, floating around the screen, kind of like a whiz ball, I guess, um, except much less precise. Witch's Eye just sounds like another term for your ass, Rupert. It really does. (laughs) Yet another term for my ass. It's, it's One my, to add to the collection. Sorry to call you at home, Doc. It's my witch's eye it is. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, so the pr- lack of precision is the real problem here. It it never feels like you're completely in control of your character, so to speak, your eye. So precision targeting is pretty much impossible. <laughs> There's two games that have pissed you off because of their controls now. Well, I mean, it, it's so fundamental, though. Like, I mean, Because the combat is essentially you'd kind of like you're whizzing towards floating towards them uh, and you have to hit them in a certain spot to attack them sort of thing but of course because you're floating around and constantly moving it makes it quite difficult i can imagine how this would work on mobile with like licking your finger and all that kind of stuff maybe it works better on mobile who knows i played it on pc so they do their best to mix things up by having the enemies have different attack patterns and weak spots but the thing is ultimately if the controls aren't right then it will never be fun so you know if okay so an enemy requires me to attack at a certain angle but i don't have full control of this character so it makes it very good <laughs> it's got these chunky pixel graphics which are okay and it's got this mild chip tune music which is mediocre frankly uh and each level has uh, a bunch of gems to collect the levels are nice and short so there's that there's a bit of replayability the um the level scrolls sideways and you're looking for the exit basically and i think you'll be looking for the reset button frankly before long you talking um, about that which is i it sounds a little bit like cauldron 2 on the, <laughs> on the commodore 64 but that was like a bouncing pumpkin thing as well and that had a witch on the cover as well maybe that is the inspiration here it's a spiritual sequel to it i also played a game called Candleman. Uh, which was on Switch, PS4, Xbox One, Android, iOS, and PC. So you're a walking candle in this, and it's like an isometric thing. You're a walking candle, and you're trying to reach the portal on each level, and it's like a 3D puzzly platform adventure type thing. But everywhere is dark, right? And you can illuminate your flame, but only for 10 seconds per level, right? So the idea is the idea behind this conceit is that it makes you ration your flame to see where you're going at opportune moments and kind of work it out from 
what you've seen in reality what it means actually is that you just shuffle around really slowly occasionally tapping the flame button for a flicker of just for a flicker of light to see something it feels it really does feel like like my dad going upstairs trying to save money on the electricity (laughs) um yeah it feels like a tech demo like like the lighting effects are Mm. lovely but the gameplay is extraordinarily dull i guess it superficially resembles like sort of art house platformers like inside or actually something like little nightmares would be closer Mm. but the lack of variety my god and the incredibly basic gameplay and frankly the flaws in that central conceit just make it uninteresting and the camera doesn't help because it will just shift occasionally to an angle that makes it hard to gauge a jump is there really think, sentimental plinky plonky music uh, as well? No, it wasn't oh, too. It was a bit more sinister than that, so that's okay. But yeah, I mean, the fact is that or literally your only action is jump. So the fact that the kind of camera angle can make it actually difficult to gauge jumps. I mean, that's again, it's just fundamental. It looks like another game that's frankly let down by its controls. <laughs> <laughs> but See, yes, um, Candleman is called, and it's not very good. In, in Candleman, if you look into the mirror and say Candleman five times, does Tony Todd turn up and say you're saying it wrong? <laughs> yeah, and then he buys <laughs> off. Uh, yes. Uh, it, any more bite? Any more bite-sized ones? Uh, I've got. Well, I've got a few more, but I'll, I'll try oh, and nice. spread them out. Okay. There's plenty more where that came from. Trust me. <laughs> Um, am I okay to crack on with my next one? Please, please do. Please. It's a quick one. I just want to talk about Cyberpunk 2077. And uh, to be honest, it's disappointing that I'm saying this. You and your indie games, Jesus. I know, yeah, it's unbelievable. After this, I'm going to talk about Call of Duty, the entire series. Um, Actually, technically, is, I suppose it is an indie game, because I suppose it's self-published by... <laughs> anyway, yes. Yeah, you're, pu- you're pushing, pushing the terminology there. Aren't you? It must have um, cost at least a couple of hundred quid to make that. Or Krona. Um, I think that this, this, I'm um, just, I typed in Cyberpunk 2077, and the first thing that popped up is CD Projekt's sheer value has plummeted 75% since the game was released, which is bad. That's a yes. bad thing. Um, I waited a long time to play this. I'm, the Witcher 3 is probably one of my favorite video games, and I, I've played the Witcher game, I played the first one, you know, uh, so I've been there since the start, and I've read all the books. So I, I really like the lore of it, but, um, so I was looking forward to this, and I specifically, as you know, I hate hype. I don't get on board with it, and it just winds me up. So I've very specifically waited over a year um, for it to be released and patched up on current-gen consoles and dived in. And it's it's a shame to sort of say that I played it, and I was, for the first, I'd say, 10 to 15 hours, I was kind of really hips deep, and then, and then, it, and then I just wanted to get it done. And I finished the main plot line which i think really loses steam at the end and drags on and then every now and again i'll fancy playing an open world game and i'll boot it up because it's still installed and but it was still installed and i found that i just had no enthusiasm for it i have no love for the game world or characters and i just i I, about four times i turned it on and then like wandered around for a couple of minutes and thought i just don't want to play this anymore and I'm struggling now as I sit here like three months on from finishing it in like a like a really tasty week-long session and I just think if they did DLC would I even go back to it you know it, and it's a shame and I, I don't know what it is about the the game that is 
because I had I only had a handful of little minor glitches when I played it, and I, I, I'm a big fan of Keanu Reeves. It was cool to see him in a game and use so heavily as well. But there's just something about the game that it just feels generic, and I can't really put my finger on it. But I may I may go back for DLC if it's like a, a bargain and it gets really highly rated. But yeah, it's it just felt like a seven seven off out of ten game for me. He never grabbed me when I played the free weekend. I've got to say. I, I just kind of felt like I felt like I just wanted to go and play Human Revolution again, or even Mankind Divided, frankly. Yeah. It just because I thought I did. I, this is very, very. Uh, it's bogged down in a bunch of stuff that is uh, lore and systems that I've not really any interest in. Yeah, and and it's the whole message, the whole, the whole sort of. Um, unspoken uh, morality choice system that goes on in it that kind of you know, changes how the ending comes about i just didn't care everyone was just in the, it's an awful place and everyone is awful so it's like well i don't really care everyone's kind of doomed i don't there's only like one or two characters i cared about at all uh, and so a lot of the choices and branches i thought i have no real interest or investment in any of this whereas with witcher 3 i, I very much did <laughs> And yes, yeah, and I would definitely go back to someone like The Witcher 3. Yeah. But it sounds like you wouldn't go back to Cyberpunk. No, I would never play through it again, I don't think. Certainly mm, not. Whereas, whereas, I, whereas I have already played through Witcher 3 again. <laughs> so, yeah. I yeah, I think just, with Witcher 3, I finished it and then went back and started again. It was one of those. And it took you a while to get into as well, from what I remember. You, I remember yeah, you right. I had, so, I had about three or four full starts, which makes me wonder about Cyberpunk. But no... I don't know. No. It's not grabbing me. No, I, I just don't, I don't think you'd do it. Um, can I do another quick one, if that's cool as well? Sure. Cool. So I I, I covered this for Games Freezer. It's a game called Mothman 1966, and it's a it's sort of a pixel pulp um, interactive adventure, but done with CJ style graphics, and it's done like an, an old, you know, like a like a 50s or 60s sort of pulpy comic, um, and I played it because i i realized that when it comes to effectively they, they market it as a an interactive adventure which is kind of true but it, it's got more in tune with a visual novel and i've played a couple of um vampiric visual novels and mm-hmm. sort of werewolf driven visual novels that are say between four and ten hours long and i and when i'm in the mood i can really grab them no anime never anything anime because i know i would just be hammering that button and people would be talking (laughs) bollocks for 50 hours um so but i got this and i thought well this is like a self-contained you know it's a full story arc in a in a chapter in like a larger series of books that are going to be released episodically and i was um i really enjoyed it it's 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 available on all platforms i played it on xbox uh xsx and it's the way it's sort of set as you've got three characters there's a guy who runs a gas station and a young bickering couple driving through um and he and the, the guy wants to take the girl to this gas station for reasons she's not entirely sure of and the interactive parts come in where you know you're going through the glove box and you have to pass him certain things and all these small puzzles where you're putting things on a shelf and they're sort of limited by the fact that they're the game is trying to so truly be an old CJ adventure that the, it makes the controls very slightly clunky, but the puzzles are so straightforward and, and add like a nice little mix to the visual novel sort of click along aspect that it, I found it really charming. And it, the story was 
like wonderfully schlockily simple as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it's got really beautiful atmospheric CGA visuals and the sound effects are done on like a sort of a single channel speaker sort of thing. Or not single right. channel, like, you know, old school sort of 8-bit sort of sound. Yeah. And there were some times when I was in a certain sequence and there would be really irritating sound looping. And I would, I found myself clicking through just to get away from it. So that was a bit of a downer. But I understand yeah. that they were, it was supposed to be irritating, but it's still irritating, isn't it? <laughs> so, right. yeah, um, but yeah, Mothman 1966, I think it's only a few quid by LCB Game Studio. And it definitely, if you, if you like... Um, if you like a little retro story, sort of simplistically told, it's it's a good way to spend an hour or two. And it literally, you'll be done in, in 90 minutes. That does sound intriguing. Moth, Mothmen 1966. Mothmen 1966. Okay. I take it that's on PC. Oh, you played it on Xbox, didn't you? Yeah, it's on PC, Xbox, Switch, and PS5, I think. Nice. Okay. 4K? Uh, no, a special K I had for breakfast. <laughs> Well, you only had four flakes of special cake. Like, yeah. <laughs> I am starving. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, when I when I was a boy, we just used to have a deep breath before bread. <laughs> um, right. Okay. Let me whiz through a couple more of these little weird ones. Uh, I'll mention Blue Fire on Switch, PS4, Xbox One, PC, and Google Stadia. Uh, and this is a good one. It's a hmm. it's a 3D slash 'em up adventure, sort of Dark Soulsy. Hang on, but only insofar as the mechanics are a bit mysterious and you're collecting souls type stuff. I've, um, I've played this. So. Oh yeah, okay, yeah. good. Uh, the graphics kind of cell shaded in a Breath of the Wild style, I suppose. I guess a little reminiscent of the aforementioned Tunic and Death Door, that kind of thing. Combat is simple, fluid. Platforming mechanics feel quite solid and forgiving, so that's good. Some control foibles, I'd say. Like you have to tap the trigger to lock on, and then and then you click in the stick to change target, which is weird. So that wasn't ideal. But anyway, I could do with a few slightly fewer statues telling me things like your path will lead you to the wind, and uh, you know the riddle stuff. I, those elements remind me of the worst parts of FromSoft games, frankly, you know, where like some key mechanic uh, is hidden behind, behind some esoteric nonsense. And by the way, esoteric nonsense can be fun. Like you think of some, a game like Hyperlight Drifter, which is totally alien and mysterious, but but the flow of the game naturally reveals the mechanics to you. So you don't miss anything, which you very much can do in a lot of these sorts of games. Um yeah, so Blue Fire, I'll keep playing this one. Oh, well, up until the point where the riddles become utterly meaningless or the game gets too hard. Um, yeah, when you're clicking on things on like sort of tombs to read and they're literally just gifts of men shrugging and you're like, oh, I don't yeah. know what that means. I, I, this was this was one I, I couldn't review for... Um, I got sent this for Games Reason and I managed to play it for a bit. But you know, it's like precision, real precision platforming. Yes, um, there is a lot of platforming bits in it. I had drift on my controller at the time oh. and i just could i just could not do it and it was either n- not play it or strangle myself <laughs> so i opted to not play it oh uh, yeah there's probably a simpler <laughs> route out of that situation um i also played a game called bomb slinger mm-hmm. which is on switch xbox one pc linux and mac um 
So this is a Wild West-themed Bomberman, basically. You play an aging cowboy with clearly with a cigarette permanently in his a- mouth. A- a- did you say aging or Asian, then? Aging. Oh, cowboy. right. So he's an old dude with a fag in his mouth the whole time. There are two modes, um, adventure and battle, which kind of speak for themselves. It has chunky pixel graphics, uh, kind of reminiscent of something like Nuclear Throne or something. Mm. The music's okay, kind of standard dirty guitar stuff, really. The movements is a bit sticky and janky, I found. It, it can be a bit slow, although you can get speed boosts. There are lots of pickups available to, like, you know, increase your bomb capacity, size of explosion, etc., usual things. It's a roguelite, so you do have permadeath, but you can unlock more slots for charms and stuff like an extra life etc the adventure mode has four worlds each with a boss and the difficulty curve i would say is reasonable i don't dislike the game i'd say and and if you're into bomberman type games then it's sort of a no-brainer but i think it's a wait for a sale type job really i i think the the bomberman thing it, it it's one of the few um sort of styles of game that never grabbed me i've never enjoyed right. Bomberman really so i think playing it with this even though it's that sort of wild west vibe i don't think it'll be enough to to interest me no. it's like why, why would i ever choose to play this game well that's the thing it doesn't actually do it doesn't seem to do anything new exactly other than switch the setting if you see mm. what i mean to the wild west which is cool but is it enough because when essentially the underlying gameplay is Quite generic, not sure, but yeah, maybe one for a sale. Um, I played uh, and was disappointed by Elex Two. Uh, this mm. is from uh, a German company called Piranha Bytes, who started off with the Gothic series of games on PC, which is being remastered, and I will play. Uh, mm. And then they did the, the Risen trilogy of games, and now they're yes. halfway through their Elex trilogy. Um, and, and and when I played the first Elex, it was it was a, problematic game in so much as it was a little bit grindy it was one of those games that if you made a wrong turn at the start of the open world you'd just be hacked to bits um and then you were suddenly just really overpowered but i found the um it had this really dry humor in it um and i I just i kind of liked the the it was like a, a, a an underdog sort of game. Bizarrely, I felt like it ran worse than like the Risen trilogy of games. Um, mm. But I, I sort of stuck with it and thought, oh well, that's, hopefully the sequel will be um, will be an improvement, oh, much like Autobahn Police Simulator 2. Um, but but when this came out, it it does it seems to have be locked to 30 frames a second, and I don't know if it's been patched up now, but it seemed to run worse than the original. And, the, mm. and the, the the graphics were slightly odd as well. It's got this really, it's quite jarring because it's got this really intense chase sequence, like sort of um, um, pre-rendered chase sequence at the start. And then, of course, when the game starts, it's just really jarring how much it's like, right, these graphics are not representative of what I've just seen. Um, so, and you know, you're going around and you're you've, the same bloke from the first game, but depowered. So, you you know, sort of building yourself back up again, which does happen pretty quickly. But as i was getting into the game and as i was and this took i will say 10 to 12 hours of me getting past the fact that it didn't run very well and was basically a rehash of the first and i was thinking actually no i'm getting i'm remembering why through the dialogue choices and the different factions i'm remembering why i enjoyed this game in the first place um even though the combat was still oddly weightless and 
and then I realized that I was getting towards the end of the game, but a key quest from the very start had glitched and I couldn't oh. proceed. And I contacted Piranha Bytes and they made some suggestions and stuff and nothing worked. And so I was like 35 hours into this game that I just Ooh. couldn't complete and I couldn't proceed because it was the main quest that had bugged. And ah. and that was what put a bit of a damper on it for me, to be honest. I thought, uh, you know, when the main quest line of a game is broken, it, it was basically when I first walked to the main encampment, a, a, a cutscene should have happened and it never did. Um, right. So I just, I just, I, I spent literally about four hours desperately trying to trigger this cutscene, and I just couldn't. So it's hard. It, it's hard for me to recommend because, as far as I'm aware, it's still uncompletable. Wow, wow. Because this is bringing back it's flashbacks to Darksiders on PC. <laughs> yeah, and Darksiders <sighs> too. Yeah. yeah. Um, Did we so both yeah, get game-breaking bugs on Darksiders one and two? Yeah, you had, I think, someone who wouldn't follow you in an yep. escort quest, and I had it where all of the scenery disappeared, and every time I took a step, I fell to my death. And there's, of course, single save file automatic. Don't worry about that. That Well, that's the key issue, really, isn't it? Like, mm. when it's like, oh, how convenient to have just one save file, which just does it automatically. It's a load of bollocks. Was... Yeah, exactly. <sighs> yes. Um, the problem I've got with the Elex 2 is there were multiple sailfuls I could choose from. I think there's 20 in all. But none of them went back 33 hours, did they? And would I want them to? <laughs> so, yeah, it's 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 like an open-world RPG. You know, you level up, but it's got that kind of dark Germanic humour, which works really well. And I, I enjoyed it for that, but it, it's a buggy at the moment. And it really, when I played yeah. it a few months ago when it was first, that it really did not run well. Oh, that's a pity. It's surprising. So you played it on Series X? Xbox Series X, yeah. And it's 30 FPS. Yep. I, and a shaky know, 30 as well. When, when I, One of the first games I played on Series X was Valhalla, uh, Assassin's Creed Valhalla. Yeah. And that game is absolutely beautiful, and it's 60 frames a second. And I just thought, right, okay, well, this is laid down the gauntlet, because this looks like a next-gen game. And so there's no excuses really for lower frame rates, you know, in a game like that. If this can do it and look beautiful in a massive open world, there's no excuses really. I mean, obviously they've got the production values and that behind it, but still, it's, yeah, it's always disappointing. It, yeah, it's disappointing. Especially the frame rate thing. Yeah, because I thought I would get, you know, it would be like, do you want it 60 FPS? Or do you want it 30 with yeah. like ray tracing and all that nonsense, which I would just turn off. But when it's 30 and and chugging along, you just think this this game just isn't finished. Like it should it should at least be smooth. Yeah, it's just bad optimization. That's disappointing. So it's actually worse than. I'm pretty sure that if I booted up the first one, it would run better than this one, or at least it did at launch. Because I had it, obviously I had it for review, so I had it. Yeah, but um, wow. it was disappointing. Okay. Let me just bang through a cu- another couple of obscurities. Let's start yep. with Adventures of Chris, um, <laughs> which is on Switch, PC, Linux, and Mac. Um, I wasn't expecting to like this one. It has that very smooth, crisp art style. We know where it looks like a mobile game. It looks like the sprites mm. are kind of floating on a sheet of glass, that kind of thing. But it's actually quite fun. It's... Um, What's it called? Tales of Chris. Adventures of Chris. Oh, Adventures. Um, 
you play this fat kid called Chris, basically, who's sucked into a wormhole outside his house and he's whisked off to a strange land beyond the clouds. And basically there you learn to inflate yourself because you're fat. And we prefer to be called Husky, but carry on. <laughs> After which the game is all about like basically it's about switching between ground based platforming and like floating movement. There are enemies to punch and spikes to avoid and the controls are nice and responsive. And I like how after recovering from a fight, uh, Chris will just take a puff on his inhaler. So that's quite a nice little touch. Um, so, yeah, holding trigger inflates Chris. But crucially, you can't just switch the inflation on and off again mid-flight. So you have to kind of use it wisely. And it does create some quite tense platforming sections. It's not punishing, thankfully. You're just sent back to the start of the section, uh, like in something like Celeste. I found there were a few too many cutscenes, maybe. I when I say cutscenes, I mean dialogue boxes back and forth, mm. and and all the stuff about bullying is a little bit cloying and sentimental and on the nose. But yeah, but I'd probably go back and finish this one off. Yeah, Adventures of Chris. I think I'll give that another go. Um, with them with that game, then it's it's. It, I know what you mean with with dialogue boxes. I find I find myself I become aware of like how much I'm pressing X, yes, and then and then I think right tap 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 and and I start to piss myself off by like focusing on it. Yeah. So yeah, I, I know what you mean when it comes to that, and you just think this it, like that dialogue needs to really be trimmed down, especially when it's really self-referential pop culture yes, stuff. Yes, yes, yes. Um, yeah, I don't know whether I don't know whether developers put a lot of that stuff in to make it stand out, you know, so that. You know, because it could be a pretty generic game, but then if it's really funny or something or really charming because of the writing, then I guess that might, I don't know, that might give it some, uh, make it stand out amongst the kind of like sea of similar games, similar independent games. But I don't know. I don't know what it is, but there is a lot of skipping dialogue in a lot of these games, I do find. Mm. And, and it's largely because the writing isn't very good, frankly. Um so the other game I'll talk about right now is called Spinch. Um, okay, I've heard of this. Yeah, so this is on Switch and PC and Mac. And it's a 2D side-scrolling platformer in the kind of Mario Brothers style, I'd say, with some qualifications. It's a slightly isometric viewpoint, which adds nothing but ambiguity, frankly, in the platforming. And it's also... <laughs> it's also extremely psychedelic it's somewhere between something like Wizkid and piku niku which i think you've played yeah and, i loved yes yeah it's fast-paced you're racing through the level picking up items grabbing little dudes along the way and you can jump on enemies heads the enemies are these strange tubular creatures almost like terry gilliam-esque in their art style and there are checkpoints and deadly pits and instead of lava you have these great big rivers of rainbow colors and sometimes it is quite hard to tell what's weird background art and what is actually going to hurt you so yeah the controls feel decent enough basically you've got a jump and a dash except the dash kind of arcs so it can take some getting used to um but it does feel subtly unique i would say and and i think to be honest underneath all the kaleidoscopic razzle dazzle i think it's actually quite an ordinary game really but it is very eye-catching and it seems fun enough um, and it's probably not expensive, so it's probably worth a look. It's spinch. Oh, okay. I know it's got a vinyl soundtrack release as well. So what, what's the music like in it? 
I cannot remember what the music is like. I would guess avant-garde would be the phrase. Oh, I didn't know we were fencing. Mm. That's, <laughs> um, <odd. laughs> That's what I use as deodorant. Right, God. Oh, okay. Um, I'm now going to talk about something I did enjoy for a change, and that, okay. that is Riff Tracks the Game, which I know you've played as well. Oh, oh yes, I've played this. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, so this this is a sort of spiritual sequel to What the Dub, which was a really good game by Wide Right Interactive, released, I think, only like a year ago. But then I think they've obviously got the licensing for Rift Tracks, which is, again, a spiritual successor to Mystery Science Theater 3000, in that it's people watching a film and commenting on it as it, as it, as this sort of going on the screen. Um, I never watched either Mystery Science Theater 3000 or Rift Tracks. So I went into this blind, but what it is, is basically a souped up version of what the dub where all of the, they've added a lot more intricacy in the options to sort of um, change the game, to be able to play it how you want, um, like having more time to answer questions or um, maybe showing the clip twice. And the main function of the game is you can play it single player or through, uh, you know, I think it's up to like eight players where you are shown a clip from a pretty bad film, probably directed by Godfrey Ho. And then, and then you just have to like. T- there'll be a bit of sort of dialogue ch- chopped out, and you just all have to type in what you think that character is saying or what happens next. There's also a really good um, addition in this that isn't in What the Dub, where um, you can you can choose you can choose things to, to, from like a sort of selection on your phone, um, and that's quite nice because mm. if someone you know isn't particularly creative in that sense, they can still join in and, and have fun. Yeah, because it's not really about who wins or loses. It's just like how much you can make everyone laugh, really. Um, and I found that when we played it, it started off and everyone's been a little bit cheeky and sort of maybe a non secretary here or there. Being a bit clever. Fast forward two bottles of wine and the foulness <laughs> that spewed forth from our phones. It, was a sense, yes. it did. It did descend into it. Just what could be the most taboo and disgusting thing you could say, which is absolutely yeah. fine. I mean, it's the natural yeah. aggression of these things. <laughs> Yeah, um, much like a best man's wedding speech. Um, so, but yeah, it, it, it's really good. It's really replayable because I think they're, they're continually adding the like multiple, like another 50 clips here and there and tightening up little bits and pieces. And it just, it's it's one of those party games that I think will always come on in my flat whenever like there's more than three people over. Yeah. be like, right, let's get Rift Tracks on. Um, and also, it, it's just, it does show you some of these films that I think I wouldn't mind watching this actually. Um, <laughs> well, like, no, no, it's actually one of them came up and it was Invaders from Mars from the, the 50s version, later remade by Tobe Hooper, of course. But yeah, and it was, and that's a good movie. Scary as hell as well. So, oh, really? Yeah, really creepy. But, I, I, rem- I remember the fir- the very first clip when I turned it on with Faye just to see you know what kind of game it was and if it was any good for when people were coming over the next day. The first clip was Godfrey Ho, uh, one of his films, and I knew it was Godfrey Ho because there were two people talking and neither of them were in frame. You could only see like a bit of cheek and nose, and I thought, there's my boy. There's Godfrey. Classic <laughs> Godfrey move. Godfrey. He just got even one job. One job. <laughs> <laughs> just put people in the frame while they're talking. For God's sake, and then dub whatever shit you want over it later on, um, and throw some ninjas in. So yeah, it's just it's probably one of my and then call it Robo Shark or something like that. Nothing to do <laughs> with what's actually in the film. Yeah, and have it be a, like a documentary about birds. Um, 
it's yeah, it, it's a good game that'll always Rift Tracks will always will always be played, I think, and just until the next iteration comes out, because it is clearly like a all you need are more clips. That's all you need to make this just you know when this runs dry, get another one on the go. Um, and it's just yeah, much more inclusive and accessible to a lot of people. So, I Rift Tracks the game is one of my top party games at the moment. Excellent, excellent. Right, let me. I've got a couple more here. Nice. Um, I will whiz through the first one because, my God, right. Okay, so the first one is called Shattered Tale of the Forgotten King. Uh, It's on on PC, PS4, PS5, and Switch. And I think uh, Xbox One, Xbox Series X, I think they're upcoming. Um, But, yeah, it's it's a Souls game. Um, And the graphics kind of look like the shrines from Breath of the Wild. And it doesn't look bad, and it's slick and well-made. It has the standard Souls game rhythms. It has the responsive movement combined with that sluggish timing-based combat. Uh, it has very harsh penalties for failure, total lack of accessibility in the way that it explains nothing and everyone speaks in riddles. I get the feeling that Souls games are, to some people, what Metroidvanias are to me, as in I'll play and probably enjoy any Metroidvania even if mm. it's mediocre, because it just hits the right beats. Um, I, I happen to find this one, as in Shattered, I happen to find this one especially uninviting because it combines the Souls tropes with some dull indie tropes as well. So you've got a really lengthy, unskippable opening sequence where someone with a breathy voice just asks meaningless existential questions. And then it fades in, and you're lying on the ground, ready to awaken, and it's like, get on with it, for God's sake. And then... Like any like any Souls game, what will happen is you'll defeat the first couple of baddies easily enough, thinking, oh, I feel like quite a badass. And then you'll go and approach a dude on a glowing horse, and obviously he slays you with two unblockable hits. And then you go back several minutes, and you have to go and collect your souls back from the place where you just got killed. And, you know... The I'm, already, I'm already bored hearing and, you talk uh, about it. And... I guess you know already if you like this particular yeah. type of time sink. And I do not. So let's move on to a game called Cyber Hook, which is on <laughs> Switch and PC. And this is a first-person platformer uh, with a kind of retro-neon Tron-like aesthetic, I suppose. It's got short, punchy, like 30, 60 to 60-second levels. And you just got to get from one end to another across. The you box. love these sorts of games, don't you? Like the little. I, I do like the snappy, like, well, I'm not going to call it an auto runner because it's not an auto runner, but like, you know, like time trialy type things, very arcadey. Mm. And you just got to get from one end of the level to the other across these like glowing, floating geometric shapes. Now, traversal is done with sprinting and double jumping, but also with the cyber hook, which basically you can grab onto certain blocks and you it you pull yourself along and then kind of let go and you can fling yourself across the map great distances and it's so it's basically the grappling hook from halo infinite but an entire game made out of it really Mm -hmm. it it has no kind of real plot or context as far as i can see you're just thrown into just a bunch of increasingly challenging levels and each one has par times and the better the time you get, the more these crystal shard things you collect, and then that unlocks new levels. Now, obviously, it is pure synth, not just 
musically but you know aesthetically the whole thing and the controls feel pretty good difficult to master at first but the game does give you a lot of options of how to traverse the course so you can just take it quite slow or you can go for like uh this speed run option you can generally use sprinting and jumps to get to the end of the easier levels but after a while you do master the hook and you can fling yourself halfway across the level on a whim um the problem i found is that running on the switch it runs at 30 frames a second so that's an issue on switch clearly and and obviously with switch you've got these pretty imprecise sticks as well Mm. um now it does have motion controls which do that does help a bit but it's that frame rate it just kills it for me um and also i hit a level on switch which just seemed to be bugged like every few seconds of the screen would just flash intensely mm. and it made the level utterly impossible <laughs> it, <laughs> it does, that does sound like it would yeah but of course nintendo don't offer refunds at all by the way so Uh-oh. that was irritating um so yeah i it was fair way through the game but still i don't know i might try reinstalling it maybe give it another go it's a tough one like that isn't it because if if someone says oh do you want to play a game on xbox or switch but it's literally twice as smooth on one you think "Mm, yeah exactly yeah well this is only on pc and switch but i guess i mean frankly on pc it's probably going to be much smoother and much cheaper let's face it but yeah. i would say it's probably it seems i think if you can it's one of those games where if you can get over the kind of difficulty hump and you actually get good at it, it i think it'd be really really fun um once you get used to kind of i think it would be kind of second nature so yeah i wonder if there's a vr version as well there should be but anyway Cyber hook. It's worth oh, a look. That would be cool, actually. Yeah, I've I've actually got a quest too. I just need to use it. Bloody old school, I am. Um, <laughs> I, I oh, was, have you got any more for the moment? Sorry. Uh, not for the moment. I've got my final two, which I'll finish up in a minute. Yeah, I've got a few more. So, um, yeah, I played uh, again with Transvaal, but in the same room. Um, the Quarry, which is the next game from Supermassive Games. Uh, who uh-huh. did what other games have they done? Oh, Until Dawn. It's a spiritual success. The Until Dawn. Okay. Uh, um, and they're also making the um. Uh, what are Is they, that oh, FMV okay. or just very nice? <laughs> FMV. No, I, I did. I didn't say burn cycle. Uh, Rupert. <laughs> I said uh, the quarry. No, it's 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 like motion captured, but it, it is like graphics. Oh, okay. It's not, it's not but like it's that. very cinematic, right? Yeah, extremely cinematic, and it's just okay. like watching a horror film and making the occasional choice. Um. Uh, we've played a few of the um, the Dark Pictures anthology, uh, and they don't have enough Larry Fess in them, uh, as far as I'm concerned. Um, but they, but of course they they're good. We we play those um, and play online, and you know you have your little group of characters, and they split up, and you make decisions, and you come together and go apart for different chapters, and it's all about just like watching the story unfold, really, all well and good. But of course this is something that they've had a few years to work on. So it's a lot more um, it's a lot more slick than the Dark Pictures anthology games because they released every Halloween. They've had a, like a few years on this, and it is I think it's the best supermassive game yet um, because w- it's got the most engaging and simple story, which I think is telling. It's uh, the, the the 
titular quarry is Hackett's Quarry, which is like a summer camp for kids. Um, and the, the game starts off with two characters going there and getting attacked by this personal force or monster. And then it sort of cuts forward to the the counsellors like leaving camp, which was unusual. It's like you don't see any of the kids. It's just the counselors getting ready to be picked up, obviously by David Arquette and his hamster cheeks to be like taken taken off. But um, uh, one of the one of the characters that you play, I think there's about six or seven of them, um, sabotages the jeep they're going to use to go away just so we can spend one more night trying to bed this girl. And what what was interesting about this for me is it looks great like it really does look and sound great and the music is fantastic but the fact that it's basically just a slasher like it like unabashedly a slasher in this place called the quarry which is just this like sort of summer camp with the surrounding woods and it, it makes no attempt to be anything else and it's perfect for that reason um it the monsters when they're introduced are, are really cool as well and there are some genuinely funny sequences and like really funny foreshadowing one of them was just I, it was really, really funny what happened to one of the characters, and we, and we really should have seen it coming. Looking back, um, but it, it's you've got like Ted Raimi in there, um, and what what I really liked about it is at the start, um, I turned to my brother and I said, I can't wait for all of these people to die because they're all pissing me off. But then you do actually kind of get a grip for some of the characters and you understand why they are the way they are just through like decent good low-level horror writing if you know what i mean like yeah. it, it kind of embraces what it is um and i think we're pretty much after about i would say it's probably like about it's oh, six to eight hours long which seems about okay. right and uh yeah it's just it's just a really good interactive movie where you just make your decision I, I, and it's more about decision making and the occasional quick time event than than like wandering around clicking on stuff which happens a bit too often in the in the the um, Dark Pictures anthology. Right. It's like it's like they realise what people want, and and they're, and they're doing it. So I hope that the future games go in this direction as well. So the opposite of Sniper Elite Five, then. <laughs> yeah. Because they very much did realise what people want. Yeah, and, and honed in on it. They don't want. Yeah, you think they'd have a, you know Sniper Elite Five? They'd have like the dev team in there, and they'd say they'd get a laser pointer, and they'd. They'd, they'd like so constantly circle the word sniper and say sniper sniping uh, being sniped not wandering around a warehouse bored <laughs> looking for a switch to flick yeah oh, and then someone at the back goes oh um <laughs> that's the lead designer so yeah um yeah it's the quarry um one of my favorite of this the games of this ilk oh nice Okay. Have you got uh, you got a lot more games to go through? Because I've only got two left. One, two, th- two. I, I cut that one off. Two more. Okay. Well, I might as well. I'll finish off these last two then, and very quickly talk about Red Out, which you might have heard of. Is it's this a racing game? racing game? Yeah. It's yes, on PS4, yes. PC, Xbox One, Switch. Finally came to Switch. I think it was delayed by like two years. Anyway. And I suppose it's probably the most serious wipeout alternative, given that Nintendo seemed to have no interest in reviving F-Zero for some reason. So, and like many a wipeout derivative, there are no weapons. But pure racing is fine. I I enjoy... I I did enjoy getting all the time trial trophies in the wipeout collection on PS4, so that's fine. Uh, Now, 
Redout does have everything in place because it's very similar kind of set, futuristic setting. It's set in like 2560 or something ridiculous like that. But it's got that kind of shiny neon inflected graphics. It's got the angular menu text. It's got that constant throbbing trance music. I just found it a little bit bland. And the racing never feels quite right somehow. To me, it always felt like you're you're always drifting sideways. To counteract mm. that, you can kind of strafe using the right stick. It's kind of like the wipeout air brakes, really. But but I feel that that is just a feature that exists purely because the controls are fundamentally flawed, in my mm. opinion. Anyway, it just didn't feel right to me at all. But uh, and, and, and really, if the feel in a racing game isn't well, exactly. that's a real I problem. Mean, yeah, I mean, I. I'd play Wipeout first, obviously, but I'll also play Fast RMX if you've got a Switch, which is a good pure Wipeout clone, pure racing Wipeout clone. Anyway. Is that for the same people who did The Tourist? Yes, I believe mm. it is. What are their names? But they made they made Fast Racing Neo or whatever it was called on the Wii U, and then they basically made a kind of successor to that called fast rmx on switch i think it was almost a launch title not quite but beautiful 60 frames a second lovely game and really fun and yes then they made the tourist and they need to make the tourist too immediately <laughs> yeah, so i can play it i don't want it to be released can. before the end of this podcast so <laughs> yeah that's red out i don't know yeah i guess if you don't if you don't have access to wipeout or fast rmx i guess red out is the next best thing um and I also played a game called Wizard of Legend, which is on Switch, PS4, Xbox One, PC, Linux, Mac. This is a top-down dungeon crawler where you play a wizard dashing about, slaying rooms of monsters, using a small repertoire of melee and spell casting. And you get different skills and you map them to your buttons, but you've only got like five at a time. It's all about positioning. Oh, the, the visuals look a bit like Moonlighter. Yeah, I suppose they do, yes. Yeah, I'd say it is quite. It's it's visually appealing and slick, and and it, all the combat's all about positioning and cooldowns, you know, that kind of thing. So I like this kind of game, because the reason I like it is because it basically takes the essential fun of like the Diablo games, but takes out the grind. So mm. although in a sense you're grinding by going back in after death, um, and you're slowly boosting yourself, trying again. But at least there's a snappy dynamic, unlike Diablo, where it just feels like a slow uphill struggle. And yeah, the mm. graphics are definitely appealing, and they're like chunky pixel art. And there's and there's a genuine stab at some detailed mythos behind the action if you want to, if you're into that sort of thing. I think possibly my main concern is just purely that I've now played Hades, which has pretty much perfected this kind of game. So. It takes a lot for another game to kind of Approaches. appeal to me. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I mean, the combat is fun and the controls are responsive and it's got a nice, charming sense of humour. And I guess just because something else has come along and perfected the genre doesn't mean everything else is bad. And I definitely preferred Wizard of Legend to Children of Mortar and Dreamscaper, which are quite high-profile, similar games, which I've played recently. So I'd probably play Wizard of Legend above Children of Mortar or Dreamscaper, um, but I'm not sure it'll replace Hades in my personal pantheon. 
personal pantheon. Um, uh, well, I've got two left as well. Okay. Um, I played a game called American Theft 80s on Steam. Um, okay. And uh, this really slipped through. We had it at Games Freezer, and I think we had a prologue of it, and I didn't really want to play like a, a demo. And then I realized that we'd actually been sent the full version of the game. And I don't often play on PC anymore because it's just not as practical for me as it once was. Um, but this was this, this sort of spiritual sequel to a game called Thief Simulator on Switch that was about 5p oh, yeah. to buy. Yeah, and it was constantly uh, 95% off, wasn't it? Yeah, really, really low in price. And I played it, and I thought, just going around nicking, like, awful tellies and putting them in, like, a brown car and driving them to, like, a glitchy pawn shop. I thought, oh, there's something here. There's a bit of magic. <laughs> I'm enjoying this. Um, and this is just, um, this just improves on that formula. And it, 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 it it's... American Theft Aid is kind of the modern equivalent of something like Boiling Point, mm. um, because it, it it is it's obviously like an underdog. It's obviously just not the prettiest game in the barn, but it's just got like a really fundamentally fun, if flawed, gameplay loop where you're just going around nicking, and this actually ties it to a narrative as well. It's much tighter than Thief Simulator, much much more polished. But it just tickles me. Like at the start of the game, someone says, um, oh, you need to go into someone's house and steal. I think it's like records or something. So, of course, I park I park my car like on the guy I'm going to burgle's drive and just come out of my car wearing like a balaclava, jump over his fence. And then it says, oh, I've given you a tool to break into his house. It's a hammer. It's just and I can just see like question marks like in, in the guy like who's in the house as I'm just banging the door handle off his back back garden. <laughs> And then you're just going in there. He's like planting his flower beds. I'm nicking his records and pummeling him into a car. And he's just like looking at me like, oh, what? What are you doing here? But I just, I'm nicking records after I just kicked his back door open. It's fantastic. And the I game. Don't think, I don't think that sounds almost like he's quizzical. I don't think that would be my initial reaction, to be honest. Someone smashing their way into my house and stealing all my stuff in front of my very eyes. But but it's just brilliant. Like this, and the guy says, um, you go back to this this bar that is the sort of main hub, and he says, okay, thanks for the records. Now you need to get me like a sky blue guitar. Um, it, they sell it at the the record the music store up the road. You've got the music store on the day, of course. You open the door, and he's like, that's $400. And, of course, you can either do other minor jobs to make up $400 to afford it, or... You come back with your hammer at two in the morning, your balaclava on, bang the door and off and nick it. And um, and then nick a load of other stuff while you're at it. And it's just like, it's glitchy and it's like, doesn't run amazingly well. It's not super smooth. My, my PC isn't a gaming PC, I will say that, that caveat. But there's just something inherently really silly and from fun. Your 286, isn't it? I know, yeah. Well, this my Commodore 64. This doesn't even come on tape, this one. Um, but yeah, it's just there's something just inherently fun about just going around nicking. And this is what Thief Simulator should have been. And the fact it's like the 80s, so you've got all of the all of the music and the style. And obviously, because it's set in the 80s, there's like no technology, no cameras or anything like that. It's just good old school nicking fun. Uh, so yeah, American Theft 80s. I, I'm kind of played it a bit and i'm waiting for it to maybe come out on xbox because i want to i know it'll be smoother because my pc's not great yeah. um so yeah but uh, yeah it's a really really fun game but just don't expect it to be shiny and smooth and my last game isn't actually a video game at all it's uh, batman everybody lies which is a board game uh, and this is based on the de- you've played this as well obviously I this have. is play- this is played on the detective um it's called the detective sort of rule set where you don't so much 
it's not like a board you go round or cards that give you powers. It's literally just the cards all tell parts of a story and there um chapters of a story that you have to with the group of friends you're playing with all cooperatively work together and try and unravel um it's i found i really really like this game because i'm drawn um to games where the the fun comes from the player dynamic yes um so much like our upcoming game death date where it sort of gives you these 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 laid out principles it's like right now just have fun and you do um the prologue is it's i think a lot of people not a lot of people some people were put off by the game because it's called like batman everybody lies but batman sort of features in it but he's not like a playable character but that doesn't yeah. really matter and it kind of makes it more fun when you have to visit him and find out how morose he is <laughs> so yeah just... and how unhealthy he is frankly <laughs> It's, but it's just fun. So you've got like um, you know the first the prologue. Uh, there's there's four missions in there, including a, a five, including the prologue. And the prologue is just you you meet the characters. You've got um, Harvey Bullock, who's a dodgy cop. Um, it's Warren Spacey, who's a an investigative journalist. Uh, Vicky Vale, who's the same. And Catwoman, and it's just getting them all together, and then using. You've got sort of a certain amount of moves around the around the the board, which is basically just a series of tiles. So you can every time you go to a different place to choose whichever clue you want to uh, follow up next, it uses up a move, and you've got to do it by the time you get in like 15 moves or whatever it is. But um, it's obviously a point system, so when you get to sort of the the green tiles, which would give you the highest score, you can stop the game and reassess with everyone, have a chat to see if you can piece the story together. And it just it just comes around in some funny ways. Like when we were playing, you you made the decision at the start, like <laughs> right, let's not go to that person. It's too high profile. Let's kind of work, let's work around the gutter and build our way up. I was to like, it's picture. too obvious. It's too it's obvious. Too obvious. It can't be him. And, and it literally just set us down this path of like an hour and a half of us just making just wrong conclusions. And then when it came to like the end where you, you go on your phone on a website and sort of, you know, it asks you a series of questions, see how close you got to actually solving the crime. And we were, we didn't even know who the killer was. Even when we were looking at the name, it's like, I don't know who that is. Yeah, never literally. Met. The, never been mentioned. The killer was someone who we, we hadn't even met in the course of our investigation. Yeah. It was astonishing. We, which is perfect because that's kind of what you want. You want it to feel yeah. like you you have to work it out. And if you're wrong, you know. But then when we did, in all fairness, the game when we did read out the the, the actual story and how it concluded, it's like fair enough. It's not stupidly far fetched. You can see how if we had looked at mm. the clues in a different light, it would have led that way. So yeah, I, I think it's a really good board game. And the detective rule set is one that um, I'm keeping my peepers on. So that's Batman Everybody Lies uh, by Portal Games, and you can get that everywhere like amazon wherever it's just it's just a, a bloody good board game okay so what's your game of the week do you know what it's been a bit of a sad one. I, I can't see arcade paradise because my music's been used in it i really enjoyed sniper elite 5 but then that, that's because i was playing at co-op mothman mm. 96 was really good fun um, I have cut out a couple because just for time reasons, but I just I just thought the Batman is a really good board game. Uh, I would say I enjoyed American Theft 80s for like its silliness, but the Quarry was one I played. And I thought, yeah. yeah, I'm actually enjoying this for reasons I'm supposed to. Okay, well, I think I mean Strider was surprisingly good. Um, I don't know why I should be surprised by that really, it's, but. It, like, it, 
I never got bored. He gripped me to the end. Um, and it was about the right length. So, yeah, five, six hours, good. Um, but, yeah, other than that, I think... I mean, Cyberhook is good, but I, it feels like one that needs to be played on PC. So, yeah. And I will give Blue Fire a chance, certainly. So it seems like it's uh, up my street. But, yes, uh, I would say Strider another one to pick up another any any upcoming games that you've got your peepers on that you fancy uh nothing i'm playing through mad max at the moment um so finish that off again i've literally played it twice before really yeah it's such a generic open world game (laughs) (laughs) and yet you keep going back and yet uh i kind of i kind of love it in it like if ubisoft had released that everyone would absolutely slaughter it it'd be like this is just you know assassin's creed with a mad max like facade yeah. yeah it's yeah but yeah it's but it runs the reason i picked it up is because it's unbelievably cheap on xbox at the moment and it's got frame rate boost on it so it's 60 fps so it's a no-brainer <laughs> Yeah, I remember it being fun, but I remember towards the end of the game, I ran out of steam with it, and I think I had other ones that were catching my eye, because um, I think it's really good um, mechanics and gameplay in the cars, but then it is the same thing for hours on end. Oh yeah, the car combat uh, is easily the best part of it, yeah. So, right then, well that was the f- the first uh, state of play in a long time, then we'll be back with Arkans Dara and our Kino Kingdom movies next week, thank you to all the new listeners. And if you want um, us to cover anything or to make any comments, you can email us at themenwhotalkatoutlook.com. Um, and that's pretty much it for me, Rupert, unless you've got anything you want to add. That is everything I've ever wanted to say. Fantastic. Brilliant. Well, I'll let you get back to playing Bounty Bob on the Commodore 16, <laughs> and I'll speak to you soon then. Okay. <laughs> Bye-bye. Take care. Love you. Bye.